Good morning. Um, today's scripture reading comes from the book of John, chapter 6, verses 26 to 36, which reads, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed a seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. Uh, amen. Uh, today, uh, we conclude our series on uh, work produced by faith, uh, all our 2021 uh, church key verses. Uh, from 1 Thessalonians 2 uh, to 3 on the Christian virtues of faith, hope, and love. Uh, we've been expanding this theme a little using other passages of the Bible to help elucidate what Paul describes concerning uh, how these virtues can function in our lives. Uh, we started with uh, Apostle James's characterization of true faith producing works, uh, that is giving evidence that a person's faith is alive. Last Sunday, we looked at how faith radiating from even a small source can have ripple effects upon others. Uh, the interrupting story of the bleeding woman uh, ended up bolstering Jairus's faith that was made shaky by the delay and the news that his daughter had died. Uh, we saw how faith produces uh, more faith. It works to produce more faith. Uh, our passage today comes from the Gospel of John and describes uh, part of the dialogue between Jesus and the crowd of people uh, who flocked to him, uh, ostensibly because they uh, witnessed a miraculous production of bread and fish that Jesus engineered. Um, in the conversation, Jesus admonishes the people to not seek merely physical bread, uh, but to put their faith in the actual bread of life, right? himself. Uh, through the passage, I'd like to explore the concept of uh, faith itself being the work that God desires, first and foremost, uh, to be accomplished in our lives. Uh, that's the sermon title, right? Faith itself is the work. And I base it on verse 29. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, right? to believe in the one he has sent. Um, in our first two passages in the series, we uh, approached the faith and works question with faith as the cause and then works uh, as the effect. Uh, today's text moves in the other direction, uh, so to speak. Faith is the desired outcome. It is the product 
of God's work in us. Of course, we're no longer in the realm of salvation or justification, um, which James and Paul were particularly concerned about. Um, nor are we looking at how faith instigates more faith in, in others. Um, we're, we're focusing on kind of getting to that faith in God. What can happen along the way uh, to arriving at faith as a destination? What are some of the things that we have to deal with or to work on? Or better, what does God have to work out in us to get us to the point of proper belief? Another way to kind of express it is to talk about process. Right? Process. The process of faith usually encounters various intersections. They can become barriers to faith if we can't get past them. But by working through them, we can. it helps us to get to the kind of faith that truly connects us to Christ. Uh, yeah, through them, we can uh, experience the work of God in our lives. Um, for organizational sake, I settled on the phrase, uh, work up, work up, by which I mean to develop or produce something by activity or effort. Um, for example, a medical workup is a complete medical examination with like medical history, physical exam, lab tests, etc. Likewise, I want us to think about working up to faith. You know, what needs to be overcome? What needs to be realized? What needs to be wrestled with before uh, faith in Christ comes to be? So again, my I try to work, I try to develop this right, work up to faith. It involves uh, three areas for today, right, um, that relate to faith. Motive. Motive. If we don't have the proper motive, if we, don't, if we have an impure motive, I think faith is hindered. Right? Faith is suspect. We have to have the right motive. And then uh, the area of eternity, the perspective of an eternal existence, right? uh, to stay uh, in the temporal uh, reign, the temporal mindset, uh, that is also, I think, a could provide blockage uh, to faith. We have to see uh, how um, our process, our work to faith indicates uh, eternity. And then last, uh, I want to talk about stubbornness or unbelief. I want to talk about kind of the things that uh, we raise as maybe defense mechanisms or pushbacks uh, to faith uh, in Christ. So we have to dismantle that kind of stubbornness. Um, it's my contention that these are potentially problematic and therefore need to be worked on to get us to the work of God, that is, genuine faith in his Son. Okay, first, the purification of our motives. The context of this entire exchange is that Jesus had performed a grand miracle the day before, starting from a meager five loaves and two fish. Jesus miraculously multiplied them to feed 5,000 men, along with uncounted women and children. Naturally, the people wanted to enthrone him as their bread king by force. 
But Jesus slipped through their clutches. Now they sought after him, not to follow him in faith per se, but to extract more benefits from him. Now, their so-called faith was grounded in using Jesus to meet their needs. Uh, often, uh, similar to the people in the story, we follow after Jesus because we want him to do something more for us. It might be from personal experience like the crowd. They ate their fill and it was fantastic. As a result, they wanted more of the same and perhaps even better. Uh, for us, he may have answered a prayer. He may have provided deliverance. He might have gotten you out of a stuck elevator. Brother Ed, who's our presider, was stuck in the Schechter elevator, so it's really good to see him now. Um, Jesus might have... Uh, consoled us uh, in a time of need, which is all great. These are wonderful experiences of God. Praise God. But when we confuse our desires for what he can do for us, rather than putting our faith in him directly, as in our relationship, uh, that can cause this kind of impure motives. That can cause us to have very unstable uh, faith. To look to Jesus as a mere supplier, supply store, or, or a genie, this is an inferior and incorrect relationship of the, or view uh, of him. What happens when what we want and what he gives us doesn't match? Right? We le it leads to a crisis. It can lead to a crisis uh, faith when it doesn't it doesn't align his will and what we want doesn't align so the people had to kind of work through their uh, incorrect perception uh, of following Jesus for what he could give them that they wanted and who he really uh, really was so Jesus wants them to take their eyes uh, off from what they wanted Right? Stop working for that bread. I'm not here to give you the bread that you want. Right? I'm, giving, I'm here to give you myself. I am the bread of heaven. He who eats of me and drinks of me, then he will truly be satisfied. That's what Jesus is trying to um, point out uh, to them. But even the form of their question is basically self-centered and not God-centered. Paraphrasing is like, like uh, in verse 28, tell us what... We need to do in order to get what we want. Isn't that kind of a very uh, common and earthbound, very normal interaction? We want people, we, we know what we want. We have goals, we have desires, we, we have um, uh, purposes. And we just want to know what, what are the rules? What are the, what are the steps? What hoops do I need to jump through to get to where I am? And sometimes we treat God like that. Sometimes our faith is characterized. Uh, we just want to fulfill some requirements. We just want to check off some boxes. We want to earn what we want. But faith is the opposite. Faith is not getting what we want. Faith is receiving what we need, what God wants to give us. Right? Faith is accepting um, that he knows better, that he will, in his goodness, provide us what uh, we need. So, what we need to do, I think, 
in order to purify our motives is to um, clear away, to really filter out, to really uh, pull out all of the many competing desires. Because Jesus is powerful, we can use him as a means to a selfish end. But again, Jesus is the end. He is the goal. He is the destination. So unless our desire is for him personally, unless we want to follow him fully and unequivocally, this desire, right, this want, right, it can really uh, impede uh, our faith. Uh, I like the thought exercise that the parable of the four soils uh, provides. If you remember, Jesus uh, talked about four different types of soil or, or paths, uh, four different types of ground on which the seed of God's word can fall upon. There is the hard path, right, where many people have trod and it's become really like impenetrable. There's a shallow topsoil, right, where the seed falls and it has just a very short root. But then when the sun persecution, when it, when it blazes on it, it dies. There's the thorn-infested ground. That's really on point, right? There's a lot of weeds and different other plants that suck out the nutrients. And then the seed is choked. It's die, it dies. And then there's the good soil. I find it helpful to think about how can I improve the condition, the receptivity of the three bad soils. I find myself being three bad soils just as often as I'm the good soil. And what you, I think you need to do, you've got to cultivate. You've got to work on it. You've got to prepare it for better seed reception. You know, it takes hard work to break up soil. Uh, if you've ever tried to till hardened ground or de-weed a garden, for example, uh, it's arduous uh, labor. When I was a youngster, I helped my father uh, regularly in the backyard, and we'd spend hours toiling and, and digging up weeds and removing rocks, turning the soil over and over again, adding and mixing mulch to make the soil more fertile uh, for the fruit trees, the flowers that my mom uh, wanted to plant. And sometimes we had to rent heavy <laughs> tools. We'd have to go and, and get this machinery because the ground was so problematic. And think in that mindset. What are my desires that are hindering this kind of faith in who Jesus really is? What are the things that I get so caught up in that the garden of my life, the, the spiritual garden, is, is very unfruitful? That uh, Jesus is continually telling me, stop working for that temporary food, for the food that's going to spoil and what kind of purification of my motives and desires is needful? Some of us are so caught up in uh, the bread of this world. It could be financial bread. It could be the bread of success. It could be uh, relational bread. It could be literally daily bread just to make ends meet, especially in our economically trying times. But are these competing desires, do they keep us from the faith that Jesus says is the work of God, that, the, that God's Desire, God's, what God wants to uh, establish is a faith in Christ. Uh, is our literal professional work, our jobs, keeping us from the work of God? 
Right. Second, um, the path to faith, I think, not only has to go through purification of motives, but it really has to walk through, it has to um, engage uh, eternity. Right? We have to, um, in order to have the right kind of faith, it really has to um, experience or, or get uh, engaged with a perspective on um, eternity. Right? Because um, an earthbound perspective, um, just to think that our lives is just uh, whatever the 60, 70, 80 years or less or more that, that are allotted to us, um, that is, uh, to me, that makes our faith um, it causes our faith to be to to be really very weak. Right? It causes our faith to be to really kind of vacillate uh, up and down. Uh, it makes our faith um, so dependent on the circumstances uh, of our lives. Uh, you know, Jesus emphasizes, right, that we should not work for food that spoils due to its temporal nature, but for the food that endures to eternal life. You know, real faith must uh, possess a transcendent view of existence. Uh, we're not made just for this world, right? So then, you know, having great success, having great uh, accomplishments in this world, from an eternal perspective, it's not much, right? No big deal. And, and, and vice versa, when, if our lives are going very poorly, right? blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, right? It, this eternal perspective, it relativizes success and failure. It really gives us, I think, God's perspective on human existence, on success. Uh, on failure, right? The eternal God made us for eternal life, not just for this world. And so to me, a proper examine of examine, examination of faith indicates eternity as the real future that God calls us uh, through faith in the Son of God. So, you know, Jesus came to pave a way to show us how to go to heaven and into an unending relationship with God, right? unfettered by physical death or the laws of entropy and decay. Um, as it says uh, in Ecclesiastes 3, which Diana, I think, quoted in her prayer, that we have eternity right, in the hearts. God has set eternity in the hearts of men and women. It's actually our uh, Bible study text um, for January. This, the college and grad groups um, are going through Ecclesiastes chapter 3 uh, in our joint studies. So last Friday, uh, Brother Ed helped illuminate some of those truths about eternity, right? That God has implanted in us a sense of the eternal, right? That's why meaninglessness, and that's why our emptiness, right? Repetition, just doing the same things over and over. Maybe we do a little bit better one year, we do a little bit worse the next year, right? That, that, that realization that this does not satisfy me. It cannot satisfy me that indeed um, we are looking for something uh, beyond that. I think 
the term he used was we have this ache against mortality. That's because God has given us in our spiritual DNA, if you will, yeah, a perspective and understanding regarding eternity. So we, we normally and naturally seek more permanence and meaning uh, that has to extend beyond the scope of our earthly lives. And Jesus is, uh, you know, referencing that. Verse 35, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. and He who believes in me will never be thirsty. That is not terrestrial. No matter what you do in this life, you will always be hungry. You will always be thirsty. But in a relationship with Jesus, all of our desires and needs, uh, when he's in charge, right, when he's in control, uh, they can be uh, satisfied. So unless we recognize, unless we acknowledge, unless we reconcile this eternity in us, the food we eat and the water we drink, it'll leave us with more hunger. It'll leave us thirstier. So, you know, with me, I encourage you to look back on recent times. Are our decisions, are our thoughts, are our anxieties uh, consonant with an eternal perspective? Or is everything just so driven, so wrapped up in the now, in the tangible, in the urgent? I think that says a lot about whether our process to faith, whether our workup to faith is um, effective or not. Let's move to our third and final area for today. Um, the challenge of stubbornness or hard-heartedness uh, when it comes to faith. Unfortunately, this can be, I think, a, a fatal obstacle uh, to faith, an insurmountable roadblock. Uh, people can have the right motive in seeking Christ. They've worked through their desires. Uh, people can be thinking in eternal terms. Right? They know that uh, what Jesus brings is not only for happiness in this life. Uh, but if we bring too strong of a set of preconceived notions, or if we are full of misguided self-confidence, if we allow ourselves to be stubborn, to be uh, recalcitrant, right? We can shipwreck, we can be shipwrecked along the journey to faith in Christ. In our uh, narrative, uh, we see kind of the conversation take a turn for the worse, I think in verse 30 and following. These people are chugging along, you know, Jesus is explaining to them the bread of life. And all of a sudden they say, what miraculous sign will you show us right, to authenticate your credentials? Okay, now, signs and evidence of God's hand upon a prophet was a commonplace test, even endorsed uh, in the Old Testament. And they were used to typically discern whether a prophet was really a messenger of God or just a self-branded prophet. So in, in, in the right context, it's a, an appropriate inquiry to make. But here, I submit that it's a deflection method. Right? It, 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 it actually is a distraction, a detour. Right? They're about to take this crucial step of faith. Right? They even say, give us this bread. Right? 
uh, you know, they, they, they say that in, in the verses, but by bringing in the authority question, by bringing in the qualification question, I think it's a defense mechanism um, to derail the process that is happening. Right? And, and often it was attributed to the Jewish leaders because they saw that Jesus posed a, a big threat to their power structure. So they couldn't validate his authority. They had to come up with whatever alternatives, whatever you know, they could badmouth him at. And so you know, they often raised this. What miraculous sign? What, what proof do you have that God has really sent you? And we do that all the time, right? When, when belief in Jesus is a threat to the world that we have built around us, when we sense that Jesus is maybe... Um, what he's asking us or, or challenging us with, it's too um, disruptive, maybe even unpleasant. If he's asking us to surrender things that we feel dependent upon, you know, our antenna get triggered, right? We, 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 we put up a wall, right? In the guise of certitude, we can assert our skepticism or stubbornness, right? We don't want to believe, and so we kind of throw everything, intellectual, uh, disagreement, you know, impracticalities, we drag our feet, we procrastinate, we, we hide behind our theological uh, presuppositions. These are defense mechanisms, right? And I think that's what we see here, um, that the demand for a miraculous sign is purely oppositional and not a genuine probe. And I say this because Jesus has just performed an outstanding miracle. He already has given them a sign. That's why they're looking for him in the first place. You know, the people are still bodily digesting the bread and fish that were multiplied from the little boy's lunch. The feeding of the 5,000 was clear proof of Jesus' approval from God. And, and Jesus says as much in verse 27 that God the Father has placed his seal of approval uh, on Jesus. Yet, the people conveniently ignore the fact that he's already met their standards because I think what Jesus is saying to them is so uncomfortable and disconcerting. So they fall back on their heritage. They cite their ancestor Moses as a giver of miraculous signs, including the manna which fell from heaven. Now Jesus has to correct their misunderstanding that it wasn't Moses right, who gave them the sign. He just explained what the sign was but it was God who gave them the manna. So if God gave them the manna and they're banking on that, right? They've credit, willing to credit Moses with authority. Then, you know, by Jesus's logic, he's saying, if God sent the manna in the Old Testament, look at what he has sent, who he has sent in the new, right? It really is the bread of heaven. It really is his very own son, that Jesus, that God has sent, um, yeah, as a sign, uh, as his message, as the person to, for whom they should put uh, their trust in. And so, um, you know, in our day, skepticism, stubbornness, epistem epistemic confidence, uh, these are all uh, kind of very commonplace. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of a very kind of, it's both a disturbing and uh, interesting time to me um, in, in like public discourse, right? This idea of, you see people um, like conspiracy theories, for example, 
they, they seem so gullible, so credulous to me that they would actually, um, and I know it's very subjective, right? So what is one man's conspiracy theory is, is another woman's um, kind of fantasy, right? Uh, like it doesn't make any sense. It's ludicrous. It's fun to understand, but just if you think, if you'll, uh, what I'm trying to talk about is uh, kind of how um, people sometimes believe in, in like very unbelievable things. So, you know, I th maybe I can get that. Because um, I probably believe things that, you know, are based upon my experience or, you know, my upbringing or whatever, my own reading and, and training that I would be more, have a more proclivity to do. Uh, and I know I'm not immune to that. What kind of confuses me is once they believe something, um, the confidence, the uh, certainty by which they, you know, will defend, you know, what they believe. So, you know, in the past, I, I always felt like, you know, skepticism is kind of rules the day. So you hear somebody and you don't want to, like look foolish, and so you say, you know, that, that's possible, but I'm not really going to, you know, uh, exceed that. And uh, you know, you you keep your views, and and I'll keep mine. But there seems to be uh, among some people a, a greater openness now. So at least the initial skepticism is kind of overcome, but stubbornness lives again. <laughs> When you start conversing with them and trying to point out, let's say, well, what about this? This seems to be inconsistent and that doesn't really match, you know, uh, 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 whatever logic or, or that kind of stuff. And, you know, they'll come back, you know, uh, with vehemence and sometimes violence and, and they'll be very, you know, immovable, intractable when it comes to you know, giving up uh, their position, right? So whether stubbornness manifests at the initial outset or, you know, after you've uh, taken in a certain perspective, but you hold on to it for that same type of, uh, you know, that tight grip, I really see how, yeah, stubbornness is really, it, it, it militates against, I think, the kind of faith a necessary, you know, faith uh, in Christ. Um, so, you know, as I was thinking about this, I was think, thinking, on the one hand, you know, faith seems to be such a straightforward action, right? Even a, a simple choice on the simple side. For example, um, you know, someone makes uh, a statement uh, about God, right? We can believe or disbelieve in its veracity, um, it's kind of a, a binary, right? You know, yes, I believe, or no, I don't believe. Right? That, that's that's what I think about in, in terms of like theory, but in practice, I realize uh, faith is affected by numerous factors. Right? For example, is a statement more of a commonplace variety, or is it controversial? Is there any supporting evidence? Is any of that evidence in dispute? How credible is a statement maker? How much personal knowledge does a potential believer possess about the subject matter? Are there things in the hearer's disposition that makes her more skeptical or more credulous? And so on and so forth. You know what I'm saying? Like belief 
on the surface looks simple. <laughs> but if you look at all the factors that determine belief or affect belief, um, it, no wonder, right? Sometimes belief is difficult, right? I think that's why Jesus is saying here that it really is a work of God <laughs> that you come to faith, that you come to believe in Christ, that it's not always because of human fallenness and human depravity and human stubbornness. It's not so easy, right? But despite these potentially, comp potentially complicating factors, Faith has been and remains the foundation of our relationship with God. Hebrews 1, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Jesus repeatedly calls the crowd to faith in him. Now, when the crowd asks, what must we do? What is the number one requirement to get this bread from you? And Jesus says, believe. Believe that what I'm saying to you is true. Believe that he has sent me. Believe in me um, because that is a pathway to uh, the bread of heaven. Right? I am the bread of heaven. And I think you'd agree with me that um, trust, believe in human relationships, it really is paramount. Um, I've referenced a book by, uh, I think, uh, I forget, his, I think it's Stephen Covey Jr. or Stephen Covey III, I forget. But it's a business book called The Speed of Trust. And his argument is that, you know, businesses, right, or the communication, uh, commerce, all that kind of stuff, um, when there is trust between um, the companies or trust between the principals, uh, the speed of business, the speed of transactions uh, becomes um, so much faster, so much more efficient, so much more profitable than when you have to kind of safeguard everything, when, you, when there's a uh, atmosphere of distrust, then you have to document everything. Everything has to, it slows down and it, you know, messes up how fast you can make money. Uh, that, that's his, you know, that was the um, premise of the book. And you, even in like relationships, right? Like I, there's a, a recent movie I was looking at and one, one person, right, um, has uh, hallucinations possible hallucinations or sightings of someone who has died. Confident that this is what she's observing, her partner, though, doubts uh, her perception. But the first, the, 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 the person who has seen these, um, they really need the other person to believe her. And when the person you know, asks, do you believe me? Right? Even though this is hard to believe, right? It's, doesn't, it's not rational, it doesn't make sense. Right? She puts him to the test, right? The relationship um, hinges on whether he believes her, even if what she is saying is hard to believe, right? And when he can't give a confirm, an affirmative answer, yeah, she feels compelled to depart. Right? The relationship ends. So even in our, you know, everyday interactions, we realize how important belief, uh, faith, right, can be. How much more uh, in how we relate to God? Again, I feel like that's why faith itself uh, is uh, the work of God. Right? God has to work. We have to work at it as well. Uh, it's a great accomplishment. 
when one person comes to belief in Christ. Heaven rejoices when one sinner repents more than if there are 99 people, righteous people, who don't um, need uh, to repent. Um, unfortunately, the people at the end of this story uh, end up not believing. Right? Uh, Jesus knows this. He says, I've told you all that you need to know, but you guys do not, still do not uh, believe. The work of faith is not developed in their lives, and many fall away as a result. So I encourage us to not emulate their stubbornness or their confusion of the conflation of desires, um, their earthbound, the temporal perspective. Yeah, let's work up our faith. Let's experience God's hand, his handiwork of faith establishment in our lives. So with this message, uh, we conclude our series on works produced by faith. Um, it has been, I think, somewhat atypical in that we've looked at several other scriptural passages to help us develop this idea of work and faith. Um, I hope they've had some kind of interconnected logic to them and that you'll consider, you'll continue to uh, consider them, work through them until it produces the kind of faith in God that God desires. So why don't we pray? Thinking about um, faith. Faith itself being the work.